Good morning, guys. It's good to be together. Let's go ahead and uh, go shake somebody's hand real quick. Just get to meet somebody you don't know. Say hi. Be friendly. Meet somebody that you've known forever. Meet somebody you've never known. I was waiting for you. No. <laughs> Real quick, um, just a simple announcement. We're going to begin a, a week's a new life journey for uh, our church for unity um, starting this Sunday. And uh, the journey is going to include a statement that we're going to pray every day, a scripture to memorize every week, and a day to sacrifice by fasting. So it's, it's um, a statement to pray, a scripture to memorize, and a day to fast. Amen? I can tell you're excited about that. We're going to do that for eight weeks. We're going to do that for eight weeks. We're going to do it together as a church family. And uh, I'm looking at my notes real quick. This is the first week of June, and so our statement to pray is this. It is that we will be a living sacrifice. The verse is Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. This will all be on Facebook. Right, Christine? Amen. Um, So uh, let's go ahead and... um, pray. Can we do that? Let's stand. In fact, let's wait for the kids to come in. Angela didn't want to interrupt. It's good that parents bring their kids to church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Fathers, we represent you as your people. It is our desire to be a living sacrifice. Not only will we want to know the will of God for our lives, but renew our minds that we might live according to your will every day. This week we commit to praying in prayer to, a, a prayer of submission to you and hiding your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We commit to taking a day of fasting that we would silence our flesh so we may clearly hear the sound of your still, small, beautiful, lovely voice. As we begin today, we do so knowing that it is you are the reason for us gathering. You are the reason for us singing. You are the reason for us preaching. You are the reason for us receiving. You're the reason, reason for us worshiping. You are the reason for everything. So we love you for that. Encourage our hearts, Father. And as we worship you, we pray that you are honored. We love you in Jesus. We pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing. Yeah. 
This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you, and this is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is the giants fall fear cannot survive when we praise you the god of breakthroughs on our side forever lift him high all creation cry god we praise you we'll see you break down every wall we'll watch the giants fall fear cannot survive when we praise you
Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's all I can get out of you. Just a slight amen. We're talking about Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's better. That makes me feel a lot better. Uh, We're going to talk about offering real quick um, because we're not alone. He's with us. Amen. We know that God's will is that money's not a trap, but a tool. Amen. And it often defines the truth of our faith. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, you can't serve God and money. Matthew 6, 21 says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Matthew 6, 19 says, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust doth, 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 that's my King James, doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. See, you don't got to lock up stuff that you give to God, amen? So today we're going to choose his word over our ways, and we're going to lay up treasures in heaven where we're where God is asking us to lay them up. Can we do that today? Let's pray. Father, this is an opportunity to show our faith through our obedience to you. We believe your word today. We believe your promise. We believe that you're always with us. We believe the songs that we've just sung with more than just a passing word, but with an act of faith. We choose the value of your word over anything else in our hearts. So we choose to lay up treasures in heaven where our faith and obedience will be recorded, not by the size of our gift, but the size of our faith. Because we believe that you promised that if we trust you, you'll take care of us. So we trust you today, Jesus, with our tithes, with our offerings. We trust you to give us money that we can help others in need. We trust that you'll give us finances that will help us take care of our families. But we're going to obey your word when it comes to tithes and offerings because our trust isn't in money. It's in God. We're going to put our faith in you today, Father. In Jesus we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. One last song.
Christian, one of my favorite hymns was Jesus Paid It All. So can we just sing that chorus just real quick? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Is that the Jesus you know? Father, we love you, and we just pray that you are encouraged by our hearts today. We um, pray that you open us up to your word and your ways, that we may understand what you're trying to teach us today, that we may walk out of this place closer to you than we've ever been before. We love you so, and Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, let's dismiss the kids at this time. Teenagers are going to stay with us today. We made a last-minute change. You may be seated, adults and teens. Teens are going to get tired of being with me. That's all right. I'm not on. After service, teens, go downstairs because we do have something for you. So come down afterwards. So I was a teen once. Do I get something too? Oh, yeah, too much sugar. I shake enough as it is. I don't need any sugar. I, uh... Um, I was going to enter into a series that was a bridge series. And the, a bridge series is designed to give you more time to prepare for the study that God, I know, has been calling me to in Isaiah. And so I spent the week um, preparing for this series called Risky Faith. And it was going to be four weeks out of Matthew. And I spent the week trying to develop this series. And the Holy Spirit said no. I hate it when he does that. I like it when the Holy Spirit says yes. And amen. Amen. But it was kind of like the Apostle Paul. I wanted to go east with the church, but he was calling me to go west. And east is a picture of the old ways, the old nations. And west is a picture of the new. It was new lands. And so God's trying to lead me to lead you to a new place. And we're going to do that in the book of Isaiah. So what's funny, my thought was to teach on risky faith rather than live a risky faith. Because my risk is I had Christine prepare all this stuff for this short series, and now I'm throwing it out. So, Christine, do you still love me? You don't sound like it. But I appreciate you. Is she over here? Where is she? Oh, you're down here. Oh, awesome. We never get to see Christine. This is Christine, in case you wonder. She's always upstairs. Derek's got to go fishing so Christine doesn't get a summer off. She has to work all every week. So make sure you, you, you thank her. She does a lot 
for the kingdom around here. We're appreciative of her. So at the risk of offending Christine and all her work she puts into online ministry, I'm just going to go west. So I can't, I can't help you. And uh, even as unprepared as I feel to teach on what I believe is one of the greatest books of the Bible written by one of the greatest prophets ever to grace the, this earth, we're going to take a risk that this is what God wants for New Life Church. Come on. So uh, I like being much more prepared. I wanted to study the whole book out, but there's like 60-some chapters, and I, I'm in chapter 5, and I've been here since January. So we're going to go slow. So let's, uh, can we pray? I'm going to get on my knees and hopefully I can get back up. But if you want to join me, come ahead. Father, in our weakness, you make us strong. In our inability, you give us ability that we never imagined that we would have. It is by your spirit that we are able to do the work of God that you're called us to. It is not by my spirit or my wisdom or my knowledge or my ability or my years of ministry. If your spirit does not move in the hearts of people today, we're just going through a little conversation. We need your movement today. We need your spirit. We need your power. We need your presence, Lord, the song goes. So could you help us by calling up things that might be hindering us, things that might be interrupting your movement this morning? We've got teenagers with us today, Father, and, and, I, and I know that you love them, and I know you want them to know you, not just know going to church and being forced by their parents to be here. But we want them to fall passionately in love with Jesus Christ because he's worthy of that love. So open their hearts up to you. Father, be with, be with their parents. And encourage them to live a godly example so they see that Christianity is more than just what they do. It's who they are in Christ. Let them love the way that you love. Let them live the way that you live. And if I could throw this in your father, let parents laugh a little bit. Give them some joy. And Father, those that maybe grandparents or maybe it's just us, me, me as the old people in the room. Help me to be a godly example to the younger generation. That I don't just play a game with God, that this is real, that this is true, that this is life. And that my, by my life, encourage them to give up their lives for the kingdom because it's worth every moment. I need you today. This is a simple sermon, Father. This is just a simple truth. But I think it's important. But without your presence, it's worthless. We need you today. We need you today. Even those that don't think they need you today, need you today. Show up. Help us. We love you so. In Jesus we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Look at me.
I normally like to begin at the beginning and work to the end. But that's not how God's been working with me lately. So we're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 2 if you want to turn there. If, if you want to stay with this series over the next, well, it's probably going to be a year. We'll be in Isaiah. But if you want to stay with me, just start reading it. Read it through three times. The first time you read the book of Isaiah, you're just going to read the words. The second time you read it, you're going to put some pieces together. The third time you read it, you're going to understand the principles that are being taught in the scripture. So read it through three times. And somebody's going to say, I've read it before. Read it again three times. I just got done reading Isaiah. I don't want to go back there. Read it again. Amen? Three times. That's free. That'll help you. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 1. And I'm using the NLT today just because I felt like it spoke a little more clear. Isaiah is talking about the future reign of God. And it says, this is a vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And this vision that he saw was laid out through the book of Isaiah. The whole book. It's a summary of God's people surrendering to serve God. And God called them to be a light to the world, a light in the darkness. To show the world who God is. So God was speaking to the children of Israel who he chose to be a light to the world to show the world who God is. But instead of showing who God is, they became arrogant, sinful, and rebellious. And in this vision, God shows Isaiah a picture of God's people in turmoil because of their sin. By rejecting God, their lives have become more difficult. And I'm just going to throw this out here. If you reject God, your life will become more difficult than it has to be. I'm not going to say you're not going to have problems. I'm going to say it's just, you're just going to be more difficult. Some of you parents should be teaching your children some of the difficulties because of bad choices that you've made in Christ. Instead of bragging about the old war stories that you lived, you should be saying, you know, this isn't what God had planned for me. Amen, that was free. In this vision, God shows Isaiah a picture of this people in turmoil, and life had become more difficult. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 25, where the Bible says, The men of the city will be killed with a sword, and her warriors will die in battle. That's really encouraging. Meaning that the enemy will destroy manhood, leaving women with few options. Verse 26 tells us, The gates of Zion will weep and mourn, and the city will be like a ravaged woman huddled on the ground. Now, this is just out of my notes, so I'm just going to throw some things out here that you're not going to remember, but it's going to be talked about several times throughout the next few months. Zion is a picture of the city of Jerusalem. It represents the New Testament. So whenever the Bible speaks of Zion, it's representing Jerusalem, the New Testament, Jesus, and love. So I can break it down to that far. So whenever Zion is mentioned, it's talking about Jesus, love, New Testament. Sinai, we'll read that later on. It'll talk about Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is a picture of the wilderness, the children of God in the wilderness, which represents Old Testament, Moses, and law. And you, you, you can just set that out of your mind now. I said it because it was in my notes, and it's important to remember. So the gates of Zion will mourn, the city will be ravaged like a woman huddled on the ground. There will be 
Men that will be killed in battle, the warriors will all die. The enemy will destroy manhood. And Isaiah 4.1, which is really a strange passage of scripture, says, In that day, so few men will be left that seven women will fight for each man. And they will say, let us all marry you. Sounds like modern TV. We will provide our own food and clothing. Only let us take your name so we won't be mocked as old maids. <laughs> oh, the joys of scripture. I'm going to read that one more time. He's talking about the future. He's talking about how God um, had called them to be a light to the world, but they rebelled against that. And because of that, God's going to chasten them, and this is what life's going to be like that the men are going to die in battle. The enemy's going to destroy manhood, leaving women with few options. They'll be so desperate that seven women will fight for each man, saying, let us all marry you. I mean, they will settle for a marriage where there's multiple wives in the marriage. We will provide our own food and clothing. They will work their own job. Just let us take your name so we won't be mocked as old maids. I thought about doing a sermon called Old Maids, but I'm sure that's a sermon for another day. Now, this prophecy is teaching in regards to Israel's current condition in the book, but it's also prophesying of their future. So it's not just talking about what's happening in the moment. It's talking about what's going to happen in the future. So in the context of the moment, as well as in the future, turmoil is going to come to the people of God. Let's just make it really simple today. Turmoil is going to come to the people of God. The people of God, because of rebelliousness against the word of God and the ways of God, God's going to have to chasten them and there's going to be um, turmoil. There's going to be problems. There's going to be difficulties. There will be very few men who will be real men and there will be very few women who won't settle for less than what they deserve. Again, Sinai speaks of the past. Zion speaks of the future. So it happened back then. It's going to happen in the future. Men will be destroyed by the enemy, leaving women with few options. And they'll be so ashamed and fearful of not having a man that they'll become desperate. Women will become desperate. Now I could go into, and we're going to get into this in Isaiah, I think it's chapter 3, where it talks about women being so desperate they'll do anything to attract a man. They'll dress as provocatively as they can to attract a man. They'll, they'll do whatever they can to just attract a man. They'll sell themselves out to attract a man. One good man for every seven women. So desperate for love that they will not expect their husbands to provide for them. So desperate for love, they will not expect men to provide for them. They'll buy their own food and clothes and support themselves financially. They'll be concerned about how they're perceived and they'll just take a name without love. So they don't even care if they're loved back. They just want to make sure they're, they're not old maids. They're not by themselves. They're so desperate for Marriage, 
that they will settle for a bad marriage than to have a right marriage. They'll marry unwisely for the wrong reasons. And I thought about going into this day and how there's, there's really, and I, I've talked to several young women who said it's hard to find a good man. One who will actually go to work and support the family. There's nothing wrong with women working. I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think it's biblical. It's Proverbs 31 woman. But to be so desperate that you'd settle for anything less than God's creative design tells you how bad things got to get. What's God's creative design? Where a man and woman work together out of love for one another to take care of each other, but instead they'll have turmoil. See, I believe we're living in a time of turmoil. Instead of living in Zion, we're living in Sinai. There's less love and more law, more desperate women and more dead men. Welcome to New Life. I'm not trying to be negative. This is going to get really positive in a minute. I'm just reading what the scripture is teaching. There will be desperate women and dead men. But God makes a promise to Isaiah that I think he makes to us. And I wrote this in my notes. I should have brought my notebook out with me because I, I do my study and I write everything in, in notes by hand. I used to do it with a computer, but uh, computers are stupid. And they just spell check. See, my, my notepad never checks my spelling. And I know what it says. But I wrote in my notes. I, I, I'm reading that. I'm reading this negativity that God's called the children of Israel to be a light to the world. They've rebelled against him. He's uh, said that men are going to die. There's going to be uh, dead men and desperate women. And it's like, this is sad. This is horrible. And I think we can look at the world today and say, the world is dying. It's dead. It's not... Marriages are messed up because men won't work and women will settle for whatever they can get. And I wrote in my notes, big changes are coming. Because it goes from Isaiah chapter 4 verse 1 to Isaiah chapter 4 verse 2. And there's a, a, a transformation that happens in this moment. Where the prophet hears from God and it says, but in that day when that happens. When you're in that day when there's desperate women and dead men. The branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the land will be pride and glory of all who survive in Israel. And I could spend a lot of time talking about what this branch means. But it's literally a prophecy speaking of somebody who's coming who's going to change everything. Speaking of a day when there's going to be somebody known as a branch who will appear. And that branch's name is Jesus. Jeremiah 23.5 says, For the time is coming, says the Lord, that I'll raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, which we're going to go into more in detail down the road, says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the, for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear the righteous like a belt. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth on his undergarment. The time is coming, the scripture says, when Jesus will come and change everything because of the promise of salvation. 
It's, that's the whole sermon, like we're about to go home. You laugh. I have very few notes left. Because in that day, the branch will be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the land will be pride and the glory of, the, of all who survive in Israel. What he's saying is life with Jesus will be beautiful. Have you ever noticed how beautiful some of our sunsets are? Where you're just in awe of the creation of God? That's what life with Jesus is like. You're just constantly in awe of the beauty of God giving us Jesus Christ. That God shows himself through Jesus Christ how awesome he is and how much love he has. Jesus will be beautiful. And I love listening to new, especially newer Christians who are falling in love with Jesus. And they're just like, Jesus is so awesome. And he's so amazing. And he's so wonderful. So life with Jesus will be beautiful. Life with Jesus will make people feel great. That's what the passage says. It feels great to know Jesus. Come on. It feels great to know Jesus. Like I know the Savior of the world who gave his life in sacrifice for my sins. And I know him by trusting him as my Savior and calling upon him and walking with him daily. He makes me feel great. I feel like I'm shocking some of you that this is who Jesus is. Life with Jesus will make people feel positive about themselves. My sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. I don't carry them anymore. I don't bear them anymore. Life with Jesus makes me feel good about me. Not because of anything that I've done through my righteousness, but everything he's done through his righteousness. It makes me feel good. And we don't live that way. Life with Jesus will be attractive. Like the best life possible is to be living life with Jesus. That's what happens when Jesus comes. He's beautiful. He makes you feel great. He makes you feel positive about yourself. And it's it's an attractive life. Though there still may be turmoil. Maybe that's why you're not celebrating as much. There still may be turmoil. Men will be alive because of Jesus. And women will feel valued because of Jesus. Jesus, this is my simple four-word note. Jesus makes life better. Jesus makes life better. Jesus makes life better. Jesus makes life better. I want teenagers to hear this over and over again. I want them to get sick and tired of me saying it. Jesus makes life better. When Jesus comes into your life, he makes it better. How? Because that's the question every teenager asks. How can Jesus make my life better? Isaiah 4.3 says, All who remain in Zion will be a holy people. Those who survive the destruction of Jerusalem will be recorded among the living. The Lord will wash the filth from beautiful Zion and cleanse Jerusalem of its bloodstains with the hot breath of his fiery judgment. Then the Lord will provide shade for Mount Zion and all who assemble there. He will provide a canopy of a cloud during the day and smoke and fire at night, covering the glorious land. It will be a shelter from daytime heat and a hiding place from the storms and rain. See, Zion, remember, is a picture of the New Testament of Jesus of love. It's a place where God promises that his people will live and it's a better life. 
It's the best life possible. And those who choose Jesus to be their Savior will be a holy people whose names are written in the book of life. My name is recorded in heaven because of what Jesus Christ did for me and my faith in him for that. So when I get up there, he's going to open that Lamb's book of life and he's going to say, hey, there's Andy Roberts. Come ahead. He's not going to look at my name and say, I don't find your name anywhere, sir. Let me start with my computer. It must be locking up on me. He makes life better because I can live this life on earth because of Jesus Christ, knowing that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to a, a, a memorial this afternoon of a, a man who was a member of our church years ago, and he passed away. And I'm not sad that he's gone. I'm happy for him. I'm sad for his family. But I'm not sad for him because he's standing in heaven right now. He's getting to be with Jesus right now at this moment. He's getting to see him face to face. Because his name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Is yours? Because Jesus ain't going to make your life better if your name's not written in the book of life. This place Zion is the, the land where God promises his people will live. And if you choose him to be your savior, you'll be a holy people. A holy people. Your sins will be forgiven. I don't know how else to present that. Your sins will be forgiven. They'll be cast as far as the east is from the west according to the word of God. They'll be paid for by somebody who gave his life for your life. And you'll be washed from your filth. How do you feel when you sin? Don't you feel gross? Or maybe you're so comfortable in the filth that you don't even notice the filth anymore. Because of Jesus, we'll be washed from our filth. Our blood stains from our sin will be cleansed by the Spirit of God. My favorite verse in the Bible in the last two years has been Titus chapter 3 and verse 4 through 6. But it says, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Through Jesus Christ our Savior. When Jesus comes to your life, your sins are washed away. You don't have to live in the filth. You don't have to feel bad about yourself. You don't have to be negative about yourself. You don't have to live in the darkness. You can live in the light. And the Lord's going to provide shade for those who choose to live there. And give guidance to live the best life possible. You'll be sheltered from the difficulties of the day and hidden from the storms at night. Struggle with depression? Struggle with anxiety? Put your faith in Jesus. He'll make life better. Well, I need to understand that. No, what you need to do is trust Christ to be your Savior and start following Him. And you'll notice these things happen through His Spirit. See, this is a risky life to actually trust that Jesus will make life better. Because to do that, you're going to have to surrender your old life to him first. You're going to have to confess your sins to him. That's what the, the, the 
series was going to be about risky faith. Faith is confessing your sin, saying, I've sinned against you, Lord. And you can even be as specific as you want. We like to generalize our sin because it just keeps us from actually identifying things that we know that we're doing that are wrong. Don't you want to be living a life that's better? Or are you going to settle for not being the man that God created you to be? Or settling for a marriage or a life that is below what God's promised you? Good men will die. Good women will be desperate. Unless you choose to follow Jesus. Amen. What makes it risky? I've got to choose to trust somebody that I can't see. I've got to choose to surrender my life to somebody that all I know about him it comes from his word. And those that claim to follow him. But I don't know of any good Christians that wouldn't say that Jesus makes life better. Parents, you should be telling your children Jesus makes life better. It's worth the risk. I've been told by several people what if you're wrong? then I'll still have lived a better life than you have without Christ. But I know that I'm not wrong because I know that the scripture says it's true, that there will be a separation from God if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior. If your sins aren't forgiven, you'll be separated from God for eternity. Jesus makes life better. I can live with confidence in Christ. I can live with confidence that he's forgiven me and loved me and cared for me. I don't want to be a dead man. I don't want my wife to be a desperate woman who had to marry me because she just wanted a name. I think my wife deserves love. Amen? I think she deserves to be valued. I think she deserves for me to go to work and support her. And if she wants to support me, that's great. <laughs> but the best life for us has been Jesus. But it's a risky life. Because to follow Jesus, I can't live the way that I've been living. I'm going to have to surrender my sin to him. Otherwise, I'm going to face the chastening of the Lord, which is what Israel was going through. I want to live in Zion, where there's Jesus, and there's love, and there's forgiveness. Jesus just makes life better. I want to go deeper. I want to give more, but I just think that's the word that we need on our minds. Jesus makes life better. And Jesus isn't making life better. 
then you're not trusting in the same Jesus of the Bible. Because God promised that this branch would come, that life would be better. You might be following a religion. You might be following a man or a woman. But if you follow Jesus, it's beautiful. Amen? Is that the life you're living? Let's pray. Father, I feel like in my flesh I want to fill them with more knowledge and understanding. I want to give them more explanations and stories because that's what preachers do. But it's just so simple. You make life better. You've promised us a Savior who will change our lives, who will make it make me have value. You give us peace and joy. You give us forgiveness. You write my name in your book. I can be confident in my salvation because of what Jesus did for me. I can live a life protected by God, cared for by God, where I don't have to rely on humans in the same way that I can rely on the Savior. I just keep going back to those words, Father, Jesus makes life better. And I don't know what kind of life these people have been living. Maybe they're dead men and desperate women. But how different their lives would be if they were devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I don't believe it's my place to answer their questions. I believe it's your spirit's job today. So I just pray, Father, that you move in their hearts. you take just a few silly simple words and examine our hearts today we love you Jesus you've made my life better even in the midst of turmoil you make my life better even in the midst of trial you make my life better even in the midst of trouble, you make my life better. Because with you, I always have triumph. So encourage our hearts today, Father, to seek you. And if, if anything, Father, if we know you're our Savior, that we would be thankful for you today. Appreciative of you making our life better. That we would tell you that you've made our life better. That we would praise you for making our life better. That we would pray to you, thanking you for making our life better.
not take for granted all that you've done for us and all that you will do. Jesus, we pray. Could you stand with me, please? We're going to sing one song. One more song. Deborah, go ahead. Jesus makes life better. Altar's open. Yeah. 
for you and it's really easy to make it about us but you've changed our lives your sacrifice on the cross paid for our sins the love that you show us is a love like no other and the life that I now live in, in, in you is the greatest life I ever could ever imagine I wish when I was a teenager, Father, somebody would have been serious and just told me that Jesus makes life better. That I'd stop thinking that it was education and that it was job or wealth or friends. But that if I just trusted Jesus to be my Savior, my life would have been better. So encourage our hearts, Father, today to seek you. To ask others if, if we don't understand who you are. But make a decision at some point in time. To choose you, you and the life that you give us. We love you and we'll never stop. We honestly can't live without you. And your name is Jesus. We love you, and Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. I thought it was a beautiful day to get you out early. Go get your kids. Please don't forget them. Have a great day.